And we are here to talk about a couple of things in the news, but the first thing we got to talk about is the writer's strike that's uh, impacting our stuff now. Kind of our stuff. Uh, the Hedge Knight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see how long this writer's strike goes. Some people think it's going to happen a long, like go a long time. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I feel like, cause there was a writer's strike a number of years ago and, and, um, I just remember a big one when, back when, uh, the daily show with John Sturt was on and the office was in its heyday and stuff. I remember a writer's strike around then mm. and it had to do with like, it had to do with like additional material and getting paid for that. Like they weren't getting paid for, you know, video shorts on the internet and things like that. And I, and I, I almost feel like this is related in a sense, right? Well, isn't it about like gig work? Right. Well, I, you know, writing used to be so, it used to be set, right? You'd get on, you'd get on a show and they would have 22 episodes or whatever, 26 episodes. And you were working for that show and you had a job and, now there's fewer episodes and every there's supplemental material that appears here and there and you have different people you know doing um little writing jobs for this and that and and everything's kind of in a in a i don't know in a mic like you have all these little micro jobs or something you know well well you don't have like no one's salaried anymore you know there's there's not like i get a salary from a company to go and do my 9 to 5 um i you know that, that that's sort of my my impression maybe i'm completely wrong i don't know so explain it to me carmine well um <laughs> you you you're right I, I keep forgetting that a lot of shows nowadays have less than 10 episodes cuz i just finished my my watching of the sopranos sopranos went on for 13 episodes my god and someone yeah, in my Discord yeah. server made a very good point. Shows back then really weren't made for, for, for binging, unless it was like a sitcom like Friends or whatever, or Star Trek, um, which is not a sitcom, but um, like Sopranos, Wire, they really weren't made for binging, more so they were made for like watch it like once a week, absorb it, enjoy it, and then like, you know, move on. But um, no, um, yeah, shows have gotten shorter, much shorter, and... They're, what are they worried about? They're worried about gigs, gig like the gig work and the AI. Now, before we started, you were saying how you don't yeah. think like AI is there yet. I, I don't know. I think it is. I've seen some. I've seen some yeah. things, and uh, it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's getting there. And they're probably like wanting to make sure that eventually, when it does get there, where an AI could replace a writer, that their jobs aren't lost. But what are you gonna do? Like these companies will will take every every step to uh, save money on on things and uh, yeah. I mean, I I think there's there's now just I want to say that it's 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 a dozen different issues at once because because you've got it, it, things were very simple back in the day, right? You you would have a job, you would have many episodes, and they were episodic, right? So if you're a writer. You could be like lead writer on episode four and episode seven and episode 10. Uh, and you didn't have to worry about all the rest of them because it was all kind of, it was, it was episodic work, you know, and you'd, you'd be given opportunities to, to lead at different times and, uh, and try different things. But now there's fewer episodes. Um, there's people are more specialized. Um, Things are done in arcs. So you kind of need like a large showrunner, you know, and then even even beyond that, things are done in multi like now shared universe. Right. So like everything now has to fit with some other yeah, show. Yeah, that's true. The cinematic you know? and, universe, and, everybody wants to get right? that pie. And then there's and then there's things like there's like all of this kind of weird small extra work here and there because you're not just writing a script you're you know they they have like supplemental material uh add-ons shorts things that appear on the internet you know all this other stuff that appears in the uh in the whole universe like um and I don't know how all that's handled and who does that and um and so uh I don't know like if you're it's it does seem like if you want to make if you if you're trying to make a profit like any other 
like any other business, things get more specialized and then there's there's more management of things. And then, you know, you kind of get one person to do one little job like uh, you're going to be, you know, my 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 editor. You're going to be, you know, the person that I go to for just, uh, I don't know, making paragraphs flow or whatever. Um, and they're not going to you're not going to have these kind of jack of all trades kind of situations. I don't it it it, it it's seems complicated to me actually you know um on on how everything because i'm you know we're not we're not in the biz george r martin wrote a whole blog post about how like he didn't know anything about the biz either and but he was a writer on a couple of things he was but he said it was he he fell into it Mm. um so he he so george r martin his um he he never wanted to be in television he wanted to be a novelist right so he was writing short stories and then he got pretty um he got he won a whole bunch of awards for his short stories in the 70s and then all of a sudden he's like okay in the late 70s late 70s so all of a sudden in the 80s he's like okay i'm going to start writing some books and he wrote he wrote um a couple and then he wrote one that that bombed and so he he really didn't know what he wanted to do with his life after that. Like he was just like, well, my career's over. And then a friend of him has like invited him to, to write for the twilight zone, which was a like it was a, one of those things. Well, well, it was a sci-fi show. This is a, this is an award-winning sci-fi author. Okay. We're going to pull him in. And the things were episodic, you know, like you can, you can write this episode, you can write this episode, you know? And, and then he, I think as well, though, he was very ambitious and he, and when he got to Hollywood, he was like, well, let me learn everything about the trade. And so he went around and learned a whole bunch. Um, and then after that, uh, Twilight Zone went on one, one half more season. And then he, um, he, uh, he got to work on uh, Beauty and the Beast and, Rose on Beauty and the Beast. I was about to yeah. say that, like, I didn't know, I didn't know he did Twilight Zone. You, you, because you, you spoke about him doing Beauty and the Beast before, and then killing off one of the main characters, like, right, like somewhat midway through the season. So he, he was in Hollywood ten years, and Twilight Zone was his first job, but Beauty and the Beast was his longest, most important job. So I guess that's how to like look mm-hmm. at it. Um, you know he. You know, it's like Twilight Zone is the it's the Twilight Zone revival for a year and a half in the in the '80s was it's a it's a forgettable show and no one really thinks about it. Um, and it was a short period of time for George R. R. Martin, but like, I guess when he when he writes and thinks about his own life, like, well, it was the first job and it was the job that really taught him the industry, um, and so it's like important, you know, it's important in his life, right? You know? I mean, Fred, think about how important freshman year of college is mm. in your life, like development growth wise. It's only one year, you know, and 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 if someone were really to write a like a, a like a um, a biography of your life, they probably wouldn't write very much on freshman year of college. But it is it is actually a very important year, right? It's like a very important year of of, of one's life. Um, that's, that's Twilight Zone, I think for, for George R. R. Martin, you know, um, that's where he learned every, he learned how to, learned how to be in Hollywood. Um, and he, you know, went through his entire, uh, um, process there, you know? So, but yeah, Beauty and the Beast was the, the bigger deal. He had, a, you know, he was, he was more senior on Beauty and the Beast and, and it was a bigger, uh, bigger deal. I will yeah. say that, like, since the writer strike thing and the announcement that uh, Hedge Knight will be pausing during the whole strike thing, mm. I will say that George has gotten uh, an unusual amount of flack for it, despite the fact that he's still working on Winds of Winter, or so he says. And there's a bunch of these memes coming out about, oh, here we go, George needs another excuse not to finish Winds of Winter or write anything. I feel like that's a little unfair, right, right, because right. he does support uh, the the writer strike in his blog post. Didn't he say like he like he's super pro union and his father? Father was in a union. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, well, one. I mean, he's a super liberal guy. Some liberal people tend to be pro-union. Union people tend to be liberal. Um, so yeah, it's uh, there's that. His father was in a union, and and so he was. He grew up in that kind of working class union household. Um, and then you know, so this is this is 
in general, he's going to support unions. But I think also like his personal experiences, he 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 doesn't think writers today have the same opportunities. Hollywood writers um, have the same opportunities that say he was afforded. You know, to to in, to in what ways? Well, when when we're talking about like Twilight Zone being his freshman year, like like I say, like he arrived and he got to write a a, a script and he got to be he got to be get credit for I am the writer of this script, you know? And um he got to do things like sit in on casting, he worked with the directors, he did table reads, um, he got to talk he got to talk to stuntmen, he was uh he got to go in and see editing of the episodes and all this sort of stuff. It was just open, you know? And he was as a writer, he was part of that process. He was saying that today, if you're a writer, you don't get to do that. Like you write your, you do your writing. Sometimes you don't even get credit for it. There's the whole team, you know, you're, you're, you know, working on lines, but some sort of like head, you know, uh, showrunner is getting credit. And then, um, and then, then after that, they're like, please go away. <laughs> you don't get to go to the set. You know, you don't go to you don't get to go to the set um, unless you're like unless you have a cool director who like lets you on. But you're you're not talking to the actors. You're not looking at the editing. You're not you're not getting any of those like credits for your resume. Like when we're when when we're watching um, Star Wars, for example, every fucking episode is written by John John Favreau. Right. That's that's what it says. Do you really think every episode is written by John Favreau? No, there's probably like, a, like he has like a whole team and all that. Exactly right, but none of them get any credit, right? It's it's like that. Not, uh, you know? What's that famous New York book guy, James Patterson? James Peterson. Um, yeah, he puts his name on all his book, but like, doesn't he just only write like ten percent of it, and the rest is a ghostwriter? Oh sure, and like I think Brandon Sanderson's getting that way. Mm. Like he has he has like a team of people that like. He, he, he like writes a stream of consciousness like shit and then he has like a team of people that like edits and like makes it Brandon Sanderson-esque and then they so he can like crap out a billion books a year. Yeah. You know, it's funny like you, um, you're because you're doing the fanfic now, I'm sure you have like mm. you're like you're getting into the mindset like of a writer and you're starting to see like a lot oh, of yeah, like yeah. the in and out. Yeah, I mean it's it's weird because it's like when when you're writing something collaboratively – at what point does 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 what you know? At what point does one person's contribution end and another begin? It, it, it you cannot tell. You cannot tell. You can't quantify. You can't be like what percentage of the work did did a person do? Impossible to measure. Like, um, well, you, well, isn't that the know, point? How, how because something is right. Yeah. But isn't that the point though? Like, you don't want a bunch of different styles coming together and conflicting. You want everyone's ideas kind of in unison, uh, like a cohesive thing to all, everyone together. Isn't that the point? Right, but it, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, you, you, you still like people coming. Like some a person spending like five hours looking over writing and and like shifting around a few words here and there seems like not very much work, but that can actually be really essential while someone like crapping out the first draft in a half an hour can, can, you know, can also like, like, like in a quantity sense, like the person that crapped out something in a half an hour seems like they wrote most of it while the person that's like refining it looks like they're not like, putting in the same amount when in fact like the person refining it is actually per, you know maybe more important than the person crapping out the the first draft you know so it, it's all of these things like that with like collaborative writing and editing and and um consulting and stories and stuff like that like it's who's to say who's to say like who writes something like who is the writer um it's kind of kind of uh you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it goes with everything in life, right? Like, uh, uh, like how everybody's like, oh, that, that idea was stolen. I'm going to, you know, sue Ed Sheeran. Um, <laughs> you saw that too, right? The, know, the latest lawsuit. I know. It's so dumb. I mean, Ed Sheeran, he has a good chance of losing, even though he should not lose at all. 
Actually, um, he won it. Did he? Is it over? Yeah, it's over. He 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 threatened to quit music if he lost, but no, he ultimately won out in the end. Oh, thank goodness! Because because I think there was a similar suit against um, Bruno Mars. That, well, there was one against Bruno Mars, but there was one against um, uh, uh, Alan Thicke's son, um, Robin Thicke, for mm. like blurred lines, and he lost. And you're like, and I was like, that's stupid. Like it was so stupid. It's completely different songs, but. Um, but, you know, but in a sense, like, we, nobody does anything originally. Like, we all base things off of other stuff and, and everything, like, creation is, is, a, is a collaborative process. Um, all creation is a, is, is a collaborative process of things that came before. And, and um, anyway, but today, today it's just like people don't get that cr- – they, they don't get those opportunities to, to – um, see the whole process and get credit and get, and get things put on the resume. Like I was the, you know, I was the writer of this, you know, or, um, you know, because John Favreau just gets writing credit for it all. (laughs) Yo, you really hate this fucker, John Favreau. You really, I mean, it's just the, it's just the, the one, it's just the, um, the one in my mind, because it's just like, it's just one of those things where normally when you finish something and then it says like writer, I, I don't, I don't recognize the name. So, um, so it's, it's just that, you know, mm-hmm. um, I have to say though, the, like the, the 2007, 2008 writer strike, that's what it's called is, um, mm-hmm. it's a weird one because it tanked a lot of shows, but it also may have saved some. So I was telling you about this a while ago, but, uh, uh, one of the things that the last writer strike did was cut Breaking Bad down a little. So it's supposed to have like nine episodes. I think it ended up with mm. seven episodes. Uh, Breaking Bad season one. Let me look this up real quick. Sorry to the audience. Let me look this up. Uh, it has uh, seven episodes. So apparently Hank Schrader, Walt's brother, was well, Walt's brother-in-law, was supposed to die in the first season of Breaking Bad. But because the writer's strike went down, they were supposed to ship with uh, seven episodes instead of nine. Um, and I'm glad that that went down because if that were to happen, we never would have gotten, or maybe we would have, but might have been a lot of different, one of the best episodes in television history, Ozymandias, which is the third, the last episode of the Breaking Bad ever. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but at the same time, it also tanked other shows. Apparently... Um, there were several shows, Jericho being one of them. You remember Jericho? The one about the post-apocalyptic United States Civil War? It, it didn't tank it so much as it, because, like, work stopped on the episodes, people had to, like, kind of move on and do other stuff. And this happened with a lot of shows. Like, apparently, uh, Heroes suffered because the writing was a shit after a while. Heroes, the show about the uh, save the cheerleaders, save the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dexter apparently suffered after a while. Was my was my name as Earl? Was that during that period? I think so. Um, it might have suffered yeah. from it. I wish Phil the Issues guy was like awake in, in here because he yeah because yeah. he's he's an expert on this, especially the time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like he's he's the TV guy, but I do know that like for some for some series like if there's no work being done on it, people have to work. People have to get that bread and they eventually go their separate ways, and it's very hard to get everybody yeah. back together. That was the problem with Firefly. Like, getting all those actors back and Josh Wheaton back for Firefly, that was a pain in the ass and no one was going to do that. So Yeah, I mean, for reunions, you essentially need to have every single person in the cast um, have a failed career. Like, and it's hard (laughs) to have all of, like, especially if the cast is big, it's hard hard to have them all fail at once, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, like when people are like, oh, we need to have a community movie. It's like, well, you got to get Dan Harmon off of, off of Rick and Morty and you got to get Donald Glover, you know, off of whatever he's doing Atlanta and then, you know, pull, you know, pull them back in, you know, like you, you've got to have everybody fail simultaneously. <laughs> fail or retired, fail, like, or not doing anything, you know, like right, the, which, the, is, the which is one cast. of the nice things about Star Trek was the fact that like Star Trek was like, like people are cursed in Star Trek that like whenever you did Star Trek, you never did anything else other than Star Trek, which was fantastic because then they could always come back. You know, is that so. true though? Like, um, Leonard Nimoy, um, Leonard no, Nimoy, well, Leonard Nimoy did some great directing. 
And then mm. William Shatner went on to do like TJ Hooker and Rescue 911 and stuff like that. But it was never, he was never like super successful. So he was able to always come back for, for movies. Everybody else in the original Star Trek did not do, never did anything else. And then TNG comes along, right? And it's like, well, usually like the lead goes on. So Patrick Stewart did some other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else didn't do anything. Like Brent Spiner, you know, like... Uh, but do nobody, they really you know, have to do anything? Uh, apparently, like, reruns are so profitable for some for some shows that are very successful. I remember um, the Cosby show. There was one of the characters on the Cosby show who was, like, the residuals from the reruns were so good that he could just sit back and do nothing. But then when Bill Cosby yeah, yeah. got arrested and they stopped re- re- airing reruns of the Cosby show, he had to go out and get a job. It's like a whole thing. I'm sure people know what I'm talking about. Oh, but, really? Uh, That's yeah. funny. Are you talking about the actor? I think it's the, um, are you talking about the actor that played his, the, his son, that played Theo? I think so. I think it was, it was, because like, it, it is true that I all of a sudden saw him back again in acting. Um, J- uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner, like all of a sudden, like after like 20 years of not being in acting, he was like back. Mm. So, I mean, he's a, he's, he's, a, he's, a, what's funny is that he's, he's like still good. Like it doesn't, it, like he's still a fine actor. So it was like, oh, you could just play roles. You're like, you're like good at that. <laughs> or, or the actors from Friends, like they all like get, get a massive residuals from, from Friends or, or Jerry Seinfeld right. and Seinfeld, you know, like I'm pretty sure Kramer can live off. He doesn't have to do uh, stand-up comedies where he calls people the N-word. He can just live off <laughs> Seinfeld. He's, he's fine. Right. Seinfeld can have horribly boring interviews with other comedians about comedy you don't like uh you don't like friends and and cars getting coffee that that show is horrible it is so horrible (laughs) i tried watching like i tried watching a couple episodes and at first because 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 he gets like these big name like comedians and i'm like oh my god they're gonna be so interesting and then he's the worst interviewer he spends like he spends like it's like 75 percent of the time he's talking and it's not even about anything interesting and they're talking about like coffee and cars. And you're like, no, no, no. The whole point of a great interviewer is that you make the other person look good. You know, mm-hmm. like you're not the one talking, you know, like um, it's but, funny you say that because I, I really hate when comedians start doing like this whole interview thing because it, it started to become super popular when Joe Rogan did it. And I, I hate to say I even I hate to even call Rogan a comedian because he's he's so bad at what he does. And every now and then he'll have another comedian on his podcast and they'll like sit there and talk about comedy like they're Aristotle. It's like, no, you're not. You're like not even, you're not even that good. The only reason anyone gives you any attention is because of your massively successful podcast. You're not a comedian. You're not that oh, funny. Oh yeah. I mean, he was, he's a completely forgettable. I mean, look, Joe Rogan was like, he was pretty, he was a pretty good comedian, but at the same time, back in the day, back in the day, um, but, he wasn't edgy. He wasn't like that interesting. Like he will not be remembered as like, he's, you know, he's not fucking George Carlin, you know, like, you know, you're not going to fucking remember him for being a great comic. You're going to remember as like, Oh, he was the guy from fear factor who, who then had a podcast where he smoked weed and had on like, like weird conspiracy theory people. And then it became like massively successful. <laughs> like that's what he's going to be remembered for. But no, it's the same with Jerry Seinfeld. No one's going to remember Jerry Seinfeld for his comedy. His fucking comedy was fucking horrible. Oh, um, you think so? I thought it was all right. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. It was, it was fine. <laughs> I don't think, I will not say it's horrible, but I mean, there's a lot of these people like, um, you know, who was a stand up who started as a stand up comic. Um, hmm. The guy for, I mean, well, uh, Bob Saget, obviously, but um, the other one, Joey, um, Dave Coulier, was also a a stand-up comic. And Dave Coulier, you watch it, yeah, he's he's fine. He's a a stand-up comic. You understand why he was a professional stand-up comic, but he's not going to be remembered. Bob Saget might be remembered for being a great stand-up comic. He was really good. That's true. Jim Um, Carrey was was a stand-up comic for a little bit. I think Adam Sandler might have been. Jay Leno. Yeah. But Jay, well, Jay Leno is kind of a legend. Jay Leno was a really good stand-up comic. Was he? Like, I, I've certain, never seen certain, stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, you should check it out sometime. It's like really good. I mean, there's some people that, that, I mean, that's the thing is like, 
you're, you're remembered as well for being kind of revolutionary. I mean, let's let 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 like you can remember like Ellen DeGeneres was a really revolutionary stand-up comic before she like had her show. Mm. Um, the same with uh, I want to say um, uh, uh, who's the the woman who was in the Flintstones movie, um, Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell was a huge stand-up comic. Uh, Roseanne Barr, enormous stand-up comic. Oh yeah. You know? Um, and, and, and they sort of changed the craft and everything. Um, I mean, people are going to remember Dane Cook. I mean, Dane Cook was enormous. Uh, Andrew Dice Clay was enormous and they kind of changed the craft. People were, people will remember Bill Burr. People will remember, um, uh, Chappelle, you know, but no one's going to remember fucking Joe Rogan for a stand-up. This all of a sudden turned into just bashing on Joe Rogan. <laughs> I know. How do we get on this? How do we get on this? But, uh, no, like, so the writer's strike. Um, it, the it, writer's strike. It, it, it's a shame that, like, it will impact uh, Hedge Knight because, like, yeah. I, I do want, kinda, I kinda I mean, want I think it'll. I think it'll have some minor, very minor um, uh, effects on on house of the dragon but almost for the reason that george was explaining in his blog Hmm. that everything's compartmentalized that it won't affect it that much like it used to be the case as he was saying that like the writer would be invited to set and the actors when they're going through their lines would be like saying stuff and if something didn't work you could change the line and the writer would help you write the new line and then you know, the director, whoever didn't like it, and they could change the script on the spot. Now that's not really done. Well, because the writers aren't there and like union wise, no one that's not a writer can is allowed to write. So you're 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 just kind of stuck. You're stuck with the words that are on that page mm. and nothing's gonna change, you know. Um, well, you, th- you there, there could be can't go to a rewrite. There could be anonymous writers coming off the picket line uh, to uh, you know and uh, and and do it. Oh, and, like and, scabs, yeah, yeah. Get get paid under the table. It's it's a it's a it's a thing that's possible. But uh, I remember when season one of House of the Dragon just finished, uh, Ryan Condo came out and said that like as it was in the editing, they were writing season two. So they're probably yeah. not going to be writing season three. As season two was finishing up, like, its whole thing. So, which... Yeah, mm, yeah. It, it kind of annoys me. Also, at the same time, Andor may get fucked up by this. Season two Andor. Mm, that's too bad. That, that's too bad. It, it yeah. may. According to uh, according to these guys, like, everything for the most part is finished. But if there's any rewrites, I, I, I guess Tony Gilroy is not allowed to come in and rewrite anything that needs to be rewritten on the fly. Like, he only can just direct episodes and, and that's it. Which, yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. Maybe he'll do something under the table, which I hope he does. But at the same time, like, I get it. It's, um, it, it kind of sucks for, for Hedge Knight because I did want HBO to do this thing where House of the Dragon Season 3 comes out, it's over. Hedge Knight season one begins. Hedge Knight. And then oh, yeah. season four I mean, comes I'm, in. I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to Hedge Knight. I'm looking forward to Hedge Knight much, much more than House of the Dragon. Really? Like, I'm really, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. House of the Dragon still got some I good just, stuff, you know? We, we still <clears throat> got to get to Blood and Cheese and, and Battle of the Gullies and all I that. I mean, I just, I just way, I'm just way more into those stories. Like, those those characters and those stories are, are just so much more interesting. Um. You know, so you know, so I'm, I'm more emotionally invested in that in that being put to screen. But um, really, you're not you're, you're, not, you're not invested into seeing like the Nymeria spinoff if that ever comes out, or the Corliss Valerian spinoff, or the ET spinoff. You know, all that crap that has nothing to do with the Iron Throne. You or, or dragons? No, you really no. know? Not not really, not really. <laughs> I mean, that that's all fine. I mean, I'm invested somewhat because of the topic, but it's like. There's difference between like, you know, adapting a topic and and adapting a character. Right. You know, like a character where you read a story and you had an emotional reaction and you felt you felt, you know, sympathy and empathy and connection to a character going through a story versus like a topic, you know. Um, yeah, I, I I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Um, I mean, it's it's the same as like conceptually, like, um, <laughs> you know, it's like. In the very first uh, community episode, um, 
um, they, he, got, he goes on a speech and he's like, we're humans. We connect with things. That's why we're the types of people we can name this pencil Steve. And then when I break it, we feel bad. And then like the, the, the table of people goes, oh, <laughs> like, right. Like the idea is that like, you know, once you kind of like make something into a character and anthropomorphize it, then you care about it. But like, and something in the abstract, you're, you're, you don't really care. So, um, so I think it's, it's the same with the house of the dragon. You just, we, these characters are very, very more abstract than they are like real fleshed out characters. I mean, they're more characters now. I mean, house of the dragon characters are more real characters than, than fire and blood characters ever were. So. I feel like I would really like Community if I just sat down and watched it because I love Scrubs and I feel like Community is kind of like a Scrubs type of situation, kind of like same sense of humor. But I just (sighs) like as Community was coming out, I didn't have TV anymore, like or cable or satellite or anything. So mm, I should sit down and binge Community. Uh, It's it's a hell of a lot darker than than um, Scrubs. Scrubs. Really? Yeah. Scrubs, Scrubs have some sniffles in various episodes, but it's not, it's no community. Community is very different. I mean, community, you'll see it's closer to Rick and Morty than it is to, than it is to Scrubs. Oh shit. Really? Then I, I should definitely binge oh, it. Yeah, Cause I got, yeah. cause I got like, I will say, and, and the person in my server who, who made this very good point, some shows that were made back in the day, like 20 years ago, even 15 years ago, some of them weren't made to be binged. And that's so true. That is, that is true. Like, there are some shows that are made to be binge, and Netflix, I feel like, started that whole trend. But nowadays, like back then, mm, not 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 so much, not so much. Like, I, like I'm sure you'll agree with me. Like The Wire was not really a, a show you binge. It's more of a show like you watch one episode, you sit back, you enjoy it, you take it in, and and it is what it is, and then you go on to the next one. Well, I would dis I would disagree with you on The Wire. I think The Wire is a very bingeable show, but um. I, I think the, the the classic one that I heard that people binge that you shouldn't binge is Mad Men. Mm. That like, yeah, because doesn't Mad Men kind of begin each episode with him like, um, like exiting his house or something in kind of the kind of same fashion or something? But there, there there's something to do with like time passing and how long he's getting away with his his scheme and you don't really get that if you're binging like you're not really understanding like the build-up and tension within him because you know he's he's lying and he's doing it for so long i actually have not, not seen Mad Men. i was that was on the list so you're saying i shouldn't binge it i i mean i i have only seen a few episodes of Mad Men. i mean i've heard people say that about Mad Men that like you emotionally speaking watching it to week to week is a very different experience than binging it that's true like there is something um, about like waiting until like the, the very next week to watch something like it's it, the anticipation builds and it's there so i was a huge fan of angel and angel Eventually, the show got into a, a, an act structure where they used to joke because, you know, the the um, things are usually in three acts, right? But because they would end all of their shows on cliff, they started ending all of their shows on cliffhangers. And so they, they started joking that they would do the three acts, 3-1-2. And all their episodes were 3-1-2 after that. And I remember watching it like week to week. And you get to the end of the episode and you'd be like, no, what? We're in the middle of the story. No, no. (laughs) I've got to wait an entire week. What? No, no. Um, And binging, you just wouldn't have that experience. Like there was such like because the cliffhanger, there'd be a huge tragedy. But also you felt the tragedy because you had to wait a week. Yeah. (laughs) So like there was that kind of aspect to it that everything, you know, but um yeah, I've been watching Barry and uh, this season, and every episode is a cliffhanger now. And you're like, and there's no, and there's no previews. Well, I was actually, I was actually yeah. going to start Barry because you told me about it a while ago. I, I think you told me about it like a year or two ago to start Barry because it's really mm-hmm. good. So I was like, you know what, season four is coming up. I'm going to watch some recaps of it. There's a YouTuber uh, who does recaps of the entire, like, a, like a 30 minute recap. 
of like seasons one, two, and three, and I did. I watched the recaps. I know. I'm sure you probably wanted me to watch each individual oh episode. God, I know. I I just I just don't want to like. It's a short show. It's not even a long show. It's like 30 minute episodes, eight episode seasons. The funny like, thing about Barry is based off the recap. It's fucking funny. Like it, it, there's like an element of dark comedy to it that I kind of like. So I'm like, okay. Okay. So so so, um, the problem with the recap is he. He might take all the jokes and like put it in the recap, but like the the thing about Barry is it's like it's the first like it start the show starts out like seventy percent dark, thirty percent jokes, and then every subsequent season the ratio of of darkness increases and the ratio of jokes decrease. So it starts out like seventy thirty, then it becomes like eighty twenty, and then it becomes like ninety ten. And then it's like now this season's like ninety five five. Really? Like there's, there's hardly yeah. There's hardly any. Well, now that Barry's in jail, is, well, I mean, is there like is it still fun as it was in the first one to two or three seasons? Uh, I mean he he's not in jail long. Oh, never mind then. <laughs> so never mind. <laughs> I'll yeah. I'll I'll actually check out season four. I know. I it's just sometimes like a show looks good. But it's like, it, it's not enough to like hook me in. For example, I, I subscribe to this one YouTuber called Movie Recaps, and he, ju- he just mm. uploaded the recap, uh, 14, 15 minutes, uh, the recap, explanation, synopsis, plot detail of Dungeons and Dragons Thieves Among Us. Dungeons and Dragons Thieves Among Us looks yeah. like a show I, looks like a movie I'd want to watch, but not really. I would, and it's just, it's hard to explain. Yeah, it's like a movie you'd, movie you'd see on a plane. Yeah, and, and, and the guy gets through it quickly, so, whatever. And, uh, but no, I will, I will start watching Barry now. This is like my, my wife, like, doesn't, she doesn't have the time or desire to watch a lot of things, so she reads the recaps on Wikipedia. Oh, that's horrible. That, that I wouldn't do. <laughs> that I wouldn't do. No, no, no. You know, it's funny because I think I was watching like a, a Patrick H. Williams like video the other day, and he was talking about how if you read Wikipedia about the movie Miami Vice, this is the the um, there's a there's a there's like a one line where they where they're like, oh, and in this scene, like they go and they they have this discussion, and he's like, that's the line, that's that's the the synopsis of what happened, but. If you actually watch the scene, it's like in the middle of this conversation, one of the characters like turns out and looks out onto the ocean and like and then turns back. And there's like a whole bunch of seconds where he's like staring off into the ocean in the middle of this conversation. And then he like looks back and like continues on. And you're supposed to think about how like he thinks about, you know, freedom and is the, the longingness of of something else you know by him looking out in the ocean but that's all lost in the synopsis right so like you lose you lose the human element you lose the emotional element by just like reading what happened like you know the by just thinking like oh well i know the plot i know a b c d e happened well you know you don't but you don't get the feeling which is the whole point. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. And um, I, I guess, I, once again, I got flack for what I said about The Sopranos, um, how I uh, skipped a couple episodes. But and, and, and You're probably going to get flack by saying that The Wire is not, is not bingeable because so many people, like, they start The Wire and then they're like, oh my God, this is incredible. And then the next thing you know, it's dawn. You're going to hate me. You know? um, I did like, binge The Wire, but I didn't think it was as incredible as you thought it was. Because I know you like season one and, and four a lot. I like season three. I think it's the mm-hmm. best one. Season five was terrible. That was absolutely no, terrible. Season five, everybody, everybody hates season five. Yeah. Season five might have been affected by the writer's strike. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. But if it was, it wouldn't surprise me. That was just not good. And, and fucking McNulty. No, no. I mean, it was just... Um... I don't. I don't think it was that. I think it was just like the 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 story was so outlandishly dumb that everybody's like, "Come on." Like, yeah. Yeah. So. But no, I, I did. I did binge all of the wire, and uh, it was an experience. Sopranos, on the other hand, has a lot of like moments and scenes and character arcs, if you can call them that, that go absolutely mm-hmm. nowhere. One example is because uh, people got on my dick about this, and to those people, I ask you, Meadows Adventures in College. That's required viewing. The, the whole storyline, <laughs> the whole storyline with AJ just being a whatever. By the way, AJ makes me hate teenagers so much, like more than I already do. I fucking hate kids. And I hate it. I hate it. 99% of AJ's scenes throughout the entire series are trash and stupid and dumb. Like, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, 
The only like even even some of Carmela's storylines. Like I got to the one where I I saw the one that you told me about, uh, where she starts dating the principal. It was like yeah, okay. It, like a lot of it doesn't really go anywhere. The entire some episodes entirely are just pointless. Like the one where um the the, the episode titled Christopher. It's not about the character Christopher, the main character. It's about Christopher Columbus. Have you heard? You, you've, I'm sure you've seen the clips of that one, or maybe you've seen that one. I don't know. I don't think I have. It, it's, yeah. it's Christopher Columbus's day is coming around, and uh, they get, the 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 mafia is reading the boys. They're reading the news that Native Americans are going to protest Columbus Day, and and you know they're very upset. Like you know what this is? Mm. It's anti-Italian discrimination. And, and then AJ comes home from school and he's like, well, apparently uh, they're saying that Columbus was a murderer and a rapist and a slaver. And then Tony gets upset. That's not true. He founded America. And in this household, Columbus is a hero. Like the entire episode is a nothing burger. It's a nothing. It's a nothing. Nothing happens. Doesn't advance the plot. Nothing goes down. And there are multiple episodes like that. So, yeah, that's why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's funny about Breaking Bad is I would say that like. Not like every episode is essential, but there's definitely some storylines that are not essential. Oh yeah, you were telling you know? me about so, this. Yeah, you know, like where where on like wh- like the shoplifting plot, like wh- that just disappeared. What's like, you know, there's there's stuff like that, you know, where you're like, oh, okay, you know, um, but that's about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, there's a few things like you know, S- Skyler trying to to work at the at the the car wash and things like you know there's a lot of these like weird uh storylines that they're where they're trying to give the other actors some some screen time and they never seem to go anywhere um in the end only like the 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 walter and jesse stories like really mean anything in the end <laughs> so um before we before we wrap this up uh star wars visions season two I'm not going to lie to you. When I saw the trailer and I saw that they used a lot of CGI, I was like, you know what? I'm going to skip this. But I'll tell you why. I hate CGI. Now, of course, I'm... So so explain explain me, like, where do you see the separation between, like, regular animation and CGI? I'm, I'm glad you asked. Because, like, I, like, I fucking hate CGI, right? Now, I'm 31. I grew up with, like, Toy Story and A Bug's Life. I think you were entering college as these fucking movies were coming out. But all the, all the Pixar stuff and the DreamWorks stuff with Shrek, How to Train Your Dragon. Like, I love that shit growing up. That is CGI. I love 2D animation. 2D animation is the Miyazaki film, mm-hmm. Spirited Away, um, uh, fucking um, uh, House Moving Castle, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. That's the stuff I love. To me, that is anime. Not the CGI bullshit. Uh, growing up as a kid, we had Adult Swim. I, I think you might have, maybe you caught a couple of stuff. Mm-hmm. And on Adult Swim, they had the show Trigun. I loved it. Trigun was great. They have like a remake reboot coming out. Saw the trailer. It's in CGI. Nope. Skipping it. Skipping it. I fucking hate CGI. I get to Star Wars Vision <sighs> Season 2. The first episode is all CGI, artsy-fartsy looking bullshit. In my personal headcanon theory... Okay. I think the reason, like, the animators do, like, this type of bullshit CGI is because it's, it's the work is half finished, but they're like, ah, it's artsy, fuck it, leave it in there. But I, I'll be honest with you, a lot of the CGI stuff was actually pretty, pretty good. It was pretty well done. The first episode, yeah, yeah. Sith, not bad. Um, so, so I'm with you. I, I, I didn't know, like, so I, for some reason, and, Maybe it's just the biases of, of like the time of, of like when we grew up, but I also don't like generally, I just don't like 3D animation. Generally, I don't really like 3D video games. Like, I'd rather have 2D side scrollers. What? Like, I, you know, I know, I know. I just, I think 2D side scrolling, like, I just, I, I, I just like it better. What's I a 2D like- side scroller you like? I mean, like Mario, like uh, okay, <laughs> like, no, okay, but in regards to like, because 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 I, I, for me, I have a different idea of what it is. But what's a three D video game you didn't like? Um, Mario, like like Mario Kart. Fucking, what? Like, you crazy? Yeah. Mario Kart is great. Sixty four. That's like the it. best one. Don't like. Don't like Mario. Oh, Kart. you're out of don't your like mind. It. I'm also not the. I'm not the. Even though I've played a lot of like the 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 shooter stuff. I'm not a huge fan of the shooter stuff <gasps> or like portal or stuff like that. I just find it really disorienting. 
Wait, wait. Like some people are really. You, you were in college in in two thousand, right? Doesn't one? Uh, uh, I was in college in, in like the late nineties. So like back, we played like marathon, Doom, and, and Doom. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. out. Wolfenstein three D was out. Yeah, I played all that. What about Halo? Um, you never got into Halo? Nah, I played a little bit of Halo. Don't really like it that much. What? You're crazy. Halo was that's my I, jam. I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I just find like the three D stuff like. Um, like I admit, like when I see other people like playing the games, like now they're 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 like the like the for a while it was because three D stuff was cubish and it took me out of it and I was just like I just didn't like the look of it. Now I admit when I look at something like um uh what's 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 the one that everybody's playing these days uh um the one that George R Martin worked on Elden Ring um, that's that's a bitch Elden Ring. When I when I when I see that I'm just like oh my god that's beautiful mm-hmm. like I, I admit it looks beautiful now so maybe if I played video games now like it would be it would be more it would be more my liking but you know I never I always just felt it was like I don't know too disorienting and and um, to play and like in the early days just too cubish and fake looking a lot of uncanny valley kind of stuff right? yeah that's true a Lara Croft's um, titties were like fucking triangles it's like yeah yeah. Um, and so I just felt like I was looking at a bunch of blurry pixels and cubes. Like I was like everything looked like Minecraft, you know, <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was just um so yeah, in general, like not the biggest fan of 3D animation. So um so yeah. So you're talking like the first but the thing is now if you're really talking about like using computers, like they use computers for all animation now. So even the 2D animation is all done on computers. Right, but but there so, is a very like distinct difference, and, which is, by the way, that's such a shame. You go back and you watch some of like, the Blu-rays of like uh, Cowboy Bebop from like the late 90s, and like the hand-drawn mm. anime was so fucking good. And, you know, the Ghost in the Shell movie oh, from yeah. the 90s looks so beautiful, and, and then you come to this, this stuff oh, yeah. now, and it's just like, ugh, whatever. Yeah, it's, ama- it's amazing, because like, I didn't realize that, because um, Disney, you know, Back in the day, you know, when they were doing Snow White and whatever, like that was all like each cell hand drawn, animated. And I didn't realize that a lot of their later animation to save money it was they would just trace over previous like scenes. Mm-hmm. So there's like there's like exact same scenes in, in like say Robin Hood that appeared in like a previous like in the jungle book and they just like they just traced over different characters to have the same scenes i was like oh my gosh like they would also do this one thing you gotta do for tarzan where he's in the jungle like most of the jungle is like just a map painting or whatever and it's just tarzan's the only thing that's like drawn the it's a shame too because disney the last thing they did that i remember that's like a cartoon that they drew that i loved was treasure planet treasure planet was amazing Mm. and or lilo and lilo and stitch it was like the last two hand-drawn ones i'm sure if they've done anything else i don't know about it but now it's all pixar everything is like pick which i like you know pixar is cool moana is cool and all that like you know that's fine but when it comes to like anime i like that shit hand drawn like that's what i want you know and uh for the most part whenever i see cgi that's supposed to be like anime whatever i i I let it go i I don't watch it but this stuff i gave it a shot and uh the first one is called sith it's about a woman who's uh Mm. she's a former uh see this is what i love i love the lore in some of these um, I'm reading the Wikipedia uh, thing. During the reign of the Sith, yeah, yeah. so so we're in the reign of the Sith. Okay, they're, they're reigning now. They're they're in charge. Lola, a former Sith apprentice, has rejected the dark side and lives in solitude on a desolate planet with her joy E2, and is trying to ch- and she's trying to channel the Force into painting her base, which I think was a really cool concept. And eventually, you know, her former master finds her. They try to kill her, mm. and. Uh, a lot of it was uh, even that very synopsis. Nice. Even that synopsis. If you watch the episode, that synopsis does not come out. <laughs> it doesn't. It's very clear she's. It's very clear that she's a painter, and she's painting. And then the Sith guy shows up, and then they fight. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, and that's and that's it. And she's just um, weirdly, weirdly, a lot of these episodes were were voice acted by people whose English were, were they're voice acted by people. Their English isn't their first language, mm-hmm. which I thought was very kind of odd, you know? 
Um, I think they were, they were going out. Uh, season one, I think, was mostly Japanese studios. And I think season two, they branched out to, like, studios all over the world. Because you're right. In episode three, in the stars, the two sisters, um, yeah. with, with the water, like, those, those, I, I feel like those sisters were, uh, Hispanic actresses. Because, like, the, the, the same with Sith. Like, the, in Sith, I feel like the, the, the voice actor was, was not, um, did not have a you know a standard American accent. You are correct. She's um, actually from Spain. Yeah, yeah. So so episode, episode one was great. Um, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. Actually, I wouldn't go great. I would say it was very good. Uh, it's very mm. artsy, like the style. I hate that type of CGI, but they did it well here with like the style and everything. Okay. And when she leaves the base, okay. the planet she's on looks super cool. Very nicely done. Episode two, you said you liked it. Um, episode two, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if I liked it or not. Episode one, I was actually pretty, 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 uh, you know, mid on the, um, I was like, whatever. Episode two. So the story of this one, I thought the animation was interesting, especially once she makes it to Screecher's Reach. So the plot of it is essentially this, this girl is getting, is getting messages telling her that she needs to go on this like mission to Screecher's Reach, which is supposedly this haunted place. And so she decides to go and her friends go along with her. Because they're they're seeking out this like haunted house or whatever, this haunted cave. And they get there, and it seems like there's this like Sith ghost or something there. And she has to fight and battle the Sith ghost, which turns out to not be a Sith ghost. It turns out to be like an old lady. With a lightsaber. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the person that was sending her visions like arrives and is like, Oh, you've ready, you've done, you've you've passed your test, and then like takes her off. And her friends are sad and she looks back to her friends sad. And then, and so like, the, I finish it. I'm just like, did she just murder someone? <laughs> did she just like go into somebody's house and murder someone? Like that was, the, that was, that was fucking crazy. That was fucking crazy. Right? That somebody like, and, but I don't know if they were playing it that way. Cause it's Star Wars and things are like basic and simple. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially these like short short stories like the first story is pretty fucking basic and simple and so this one i'm just like am i supposed to think that she just like that the person that's sending her the vision is the real evil person and that she just went in and murdered someone um did you get that out of screechers reach yes that i got by the way in case you were wondering if all those kids sounded like non-english they were they were all irish that's because mm. the studio that did the whole segment, Cartoon Saloon, is located in Ireland. Mm. So they most likely got oh, okay, like okay. Irish actors. But uh, yes, the reason I-, I think it added, I think it added to to the episode. Actually. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, but yeah, continue, yeah, because it yeah it gave it gave it because we know we have this stereotype that like Ireland is a is a quaint little place with small towns, <laughs> you know, and like that was part of the 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 part of like the the feel, right? Anyway. But did you get Yeah, I got that feeling. And by the way, in case of the animation, I really liked it. But that's because I grew up in the 90s, early 2000s. And um, this cartoon, like the way this feels, it looks like a lot like Samurai Jack, uh, Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Laboratory. So I really like like the feel of it. Apparently, the person who comes down to like pick her up at the end is known as the Sith Mother. So it's kind of dark in the sense where oh. this was a Sith quest that this little girl embarked on unknowingly into, like, the dark side. So, and this is why I kind of like Episode 2 quite a bit. It's because it reminds me of, like, cartoons from, like, the 80s, where mm. it was a children's show because it had kids, and that's it. Everything else did not feel yeah. like a children's show. Like, this felt like like a darker, right. like... This was, this was cra- This is a very crazy, dark... Um, I mean, of the ones I, of the ones I watched, like that one kind of like stuck with me the most, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, man, like when, 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 when the old lady is like stuck under the, is stuck under the rock and she's like trying to get her lightsaber and, and the, the girl like, you know, takes it and then slaughters her. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, it felt very, uh, 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 Gendy Tarakoski, very Samurai Jack-ish, 
very like you know that type of animation which i really liked um so no episode two was was great probably my second favorite yeah uh episode yeah. three in the stars it was the sisters uh that one was cg don't like it you didn't like yeah yeah, yeah i didn't like it no it was just it was just so basic it was just so basic you know it was, you know, it's, it's, they're polluting my planet and we can't get water, but we need the stars to illuminate our paintings. You know, you're just like, oh my God. Like, could this be, what is this fucking James Cameron's avatar? Like, uh, just come on. <laughs> well, well, that was essentially episode three. You know, the empire is causing a lot of uh, pollution on the planet and uh, the, the alien sisters are trying to uh, not really fight back, but somewhat survive. But eventually, you know, the whole operation gets disturbed and. You know, yeah, basically what you said. Yeah, yeah. The animation is messy too. A lot going on. It's very different. Um, uh, episode episode four. Episode four. This is the one that's in the Wallace and Gromit animation style of like clay claymation. Yeah. So star- season two is a little weird because episode four and nine are the ones that are like for kids. Like th- these are these are segments your kids would enjoy. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'll be honest, it wasn't for me. <laughs> Your kids have to get through a lot of freaking murder in order to get to episode four. <laughs> That's true. But it's titled, I Am Your oh. Mother, and uh, it was cute. It was cute. It kind of reminded me of Bluey. Cute. Have you been watching Bluey with your children? Mm-hmm. I, I have not. Everyone rec- Everyone says it's great. Everyone's recommending it, but I have not seen Bluey. Yet. I've actually seen one segment of Bluey, and the one that, that I did see where it's um, Bluey's playing with Legos, and she has to clean up because her father is making a cake for their sister. Um, it, it's actually, it was quite quite nice, actually. It, it doesn't, like, it's not like Caillou where, like, it teaches your kids to be assholes. Like, Bluey has some nice yeah. messaging about, like, understanding that your parents are people, too, and that, you, you know, you have responsibilities uh-huh. and blah, blah, It's actually quite nice, Bluey. And uh, this segment was, I'll admit, I'm not in the target demographic for this segment, so I can't say it was bad. I can't say, like, I didn't like it. It was, it was whatever. Like, it was, it was clearly wasn't for yeah, me. Yeah. See, th- see, by the way, Grifters... Who complained about Miss Marvel? This is how you like do that, you know. So, sometimes it's not your demographic, and that's okay. It doesn't mean right, it's bad. Right. It's just yeah. it's not for you. Um, the MCU. <laughs> anyway, MCU. Continue. Is that thing they've said before? Oh yeah, the grifters. They, they they every time they every time Marvel tries to market something to women, they complain about the MCU. Are we never ever supposed to have female characters ever? Like what what? No, 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 never. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Um, episode five was my favorite. That was the Miyazaki-looking one. Essentially, this young girl is born on this planet where there are Sith and Jedi statues uh, facing each other. And every time uh, raindrops fall on rocks, they pick it up and they can see visions of the future. Eventually, she grows up. Uh, she... Uh, also, that synopsis you would not get from watching the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... That's, uh, I'm not even reading the wiki. This is what I remember because I really liked it. And uh, basically, well, this this is a time of like... That's the thing is like I don't remember them explaining what the statues were. The fact that you got like that you got that there was like a Jedi and a Sith statue, I didn't understand. I didn't really... like. I got that like they were supposed to cut off the statues' heads. And they got up there and instead of cutting off the statues' heads, they cut off the Sith guy's head. And something exploded in the middle. I wasn't really sure what happened at the well, end. Well, well, well. Um, I, I could explain that. So basically, on her planet, um, uh, essentially, this, I love the lore. The state of the galaxy is at war with the Sith. Like the Republic is at war with the Sith, and the Jedi are, are as well. And basically, she believes that cutting the head off the Sith statue can turn the tide of the war somehow. This is what she believes. So she goes to the Jedi Council when she's older, and she's like, "Look, I want to do this." It would be great if I had a Jedi to accompany me to help out. And so they send this little kid. And this little kid, well, teenager. They send this teenager with her who's a Jedi. Yeah, because yeah, the, the, the sexual tension is <laughs> off the charts. It's, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's typical. It's that Miyazaki-ness. So you got to have that like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very it's very Japanese anime. They're, they're like sexual tension. I'll be honest. Know. I didn't really get a sexual tension. But like there was a little bit of teasing. Just a little, little tad bit of flurry. Just a little bit. Yeah. What? It's, it's, it was the classic, like, we hate each other, but we love each other. Like, it was classic. I hate you. I hate you. Why do I love you? 
The Jedi send this teenage kid um, with her. Now, her whole goal is to buy some explosives to blow the head off the statue. However, the teenager they send, he has his own past. Apparently, he's being hunted by the Sith who killed his master and wants him to be the new apprentice. So as they're fighting on the statues, the girl is trying to blow the head off of one of them. But then she realizes the age-old the age-old answer to light and dark, it's really kind of the same, kind of, just a different side of the same coin. Um, because as the sun illuminates, like, on the statues, she thinks she's blowing off the head of the Sith, but then it, like, changes colors and it's like the Jedi one. And she's like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Um, and then, and then the kid is fighting the, the dark side, the Sith guy, and cuts his head off, and they both fall. It, it was very Howl's Moving Castle Miyazaki, and I, I really liked it. I love the lore. Yeah, yeah. The visuals were I great. I mean, I, I liked, I liked that, um, I mean, you know, these, these are short episodes, so it's just like, I did like how, okay, they have a mission. I know what the mission is. Like, this is what it's about. They've got to cut this head off the statue. Like, that's kind of interesting. And the, st- the design, of the statue and and everything up there was very cool. I, I loved the you know I loved the animation, um, and uh, you know it was it was it was it was a very good episode. Um, even though I wasn't quite sure what was going on, there was a little pun that I kind of liked in the middle. So like it rains, right? I think one of the reasons they think they're going to lose the war is because it when it rains, prophecy appears in in the reflection of the water on the stones. And then she talks about how, like, she wants to destroy the statue because she thinks that'll undo the prophecies. And so she said, in the end, they're like, they're like, but our future is our own. Nothing is set in stone. And I was like, ah, good pun. <laughs> Nothing set in stone. Prophecy stones. Okay. Um, the other ones, I'll be honest with you, I've uh, I, you know, watched a bit of them. Uh, episode six, the spy dancer, really nice, cool animation, quite enjoyed it, but it was a little jarring for me, the animation, but still watchable. You, you, you thought it was fine, like a million stormtroopers getting killed for, or getting tossed around. It was, it was, it was fine. It was, it was, it was fine. Episode seven was the Hindu one. Uh, the one where the two Hindu mm-hmm. characters are trying to find refuge and kind of like in Kenobi like with the hidden path, hiding force users. And uh, they come across an Inquisitor who, you know, is chasing them. And the whole thing ends with a fight with this uh, Hindu grandmother who fucks his ass up. And, uh, yeah, I thought that one was pretty cool. Um, You know, very simple, like you said. Uh, The Pit, I actually liked. I thought it was was really nice, like the animation style. Just as the Empire is conquered, a large group of Imperial slaves are forced to dig a giant pit in the middle of the desert for kyber crystals which the stormtroopers used to build a nearby city. Um, that one was fine. That one was pretty cool, too. I didn't mind it. Episode 9, I'll admit, I did skip because that was a very kitty one that was just clearly for children. Obviously, I'm not the demographic, so I'm not going to give it a shot. I'm assuming you skimmed through the rest. Yeah, yeah, the same, yeah. You feel the same way? Yeah, more or less. I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, last season, they, it was the same where they sort of, like, led with their strong ones and then it kind of like they they kind of peter out you know and i think they they kind of do the do the same do the same this uh this uh this season as well i think i think this is the a pretty successful one if they're gonna do season three i'm i'm i'm, I'm hopeful they, for they it. will they will well this is this is um i'm Catholic. positive they will Kathleen Kennedy said they wanted to cut back the amount of Star Wars they're putting out every year, which I hope that's only for the live action stuff and not like the animation stuff. Cause I think we need more animation, specifically like in episode five. I really liked it. Yeah. So, and hopefully. Oh, I'm just, I'm just thinking like something like this where you can, oh my God, like I'm just thinking from a business standpoint, like you get to, you get to essentially just like do no, it, this is all subcontracting. You don't have to do anything. You just essentially have some money and you go, okay, like we're going to find, you know, nine affordable, ha- like houses, uh, around the world who like, or who like will take, who will do something pretty cheaply because they want to get their name out there. And then, you know, you send it to us and then we just fucking pop it online. Like, like, you know, uh, Disney in America is doing nothing except cutting a check here. 
Like, it's just so... You're not wrong. It's so easy for them. You're not wrong. Season 1 was mostly Japanese animation studios. Season 2, it's all over the world. Episode 9, uh, Aou's Song, the the one that's very kiddie, uh, that's, that was done by uh, Triggerfish, which is located in South uh, South Africa. I was going to say South Korea. It's down in South Africa. Um, episode 5, the one I liked, Studio Mir, located in South Korea. Uh, episode 4, I Am Your Mother, the one about the Twi'leks racing. That one is Ardman. That one's located in the U.K., uh, the one that you like, Cartoon Saloon, um, Screechers Reach, that is Ireland. And uh, I think El Guri, the animation studio El Guri, I think that is, fuck, I forgot where they're located, but they're, it's most likely a, like a Hispanic based, uh, Hispanic based, yeah, Spanish animation studio. So, yeah, I kinda, I, I kinda like that they went off and like, you know, had new people come in and, and do it. There was less of a Japanese feel to it and more of a, you know. Yeah. Mm hmm. Which, these uh, these ones actually felt <clears throat> plot wise. These felt more connected to the Star Wars universe than than last season. Last seasons felt like they really really went outside the box. Mm-hmm. This felt these stories felt like they could exist in the Star Wars universe at a particular time in history. Um, 100%. while the first season felt first season felt like no these could not these could never happen <laughs> like. Um, these are like Star Wars inspired. Well, the, you know, this season f- felt a little more in line. Before we wrap this up, there is one thing I wanted to get to, but I know it's a little late for you. Uh, you highlighted this on the stream last time I was on with you, but um, this thing about how George Lucas really got in his own way in regards to episode one with the original yeah, yeah. script of how, you know, Anakin was a little older and, and Obi-Wan was there for the most part. There was almost no Qui-Gon, uh, but we'll have to get to that later. I know it's a little late for you. Do you mind if we wrap it up here? Sounds good. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. As always, we'll see you all next time. Have a good one.